I, um, I am a fan of, uh, of TED Talks. Anybody watch TED Talks on YouTube? If you don't know what a, a TED Talk is, it stands for Technology, Entertainment, and Design. And they're short, like 15 to 18 minute talks, lectures, messages from leaders in, in industries. And they'll talk about every, you know, people like um, Brene Brown, or um, I was recently introduced to a man named Apollo Robbins, sleight of hand guy. And one of my favorites is a guy named Simon Sinek. And one of the most popular TED Talks, shared the most, downloaded the most, watched the most, is one of Simon Sinek's. Sometimes it's called the Golden Circle. Sometimes it's called Know Your Why or What's Your Why. And it, his premise is this, is that great leaders, great organizations start with why. And then they work out to how, and then they finish up with what. And he uses Apple as an example, right? And their why is to challenge the status quo in everything that they do. And their how is to do it with beautiful design and easy user interfaces. And by the way, they make computers. You wanna buy a computer? And they move in that, in, in that direction rather than starting from, hey, we make computers. Um, it'll make your life easier. You should buy one. And so starting with why is, is this key to what great leaders and great organizations are. And I, I love the concept because it is so clearly exemplified in, in the Christian journey and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And the why of Christianity is what should motivate us, could motivate us, does motivate us. And it's found in, in two different verses in the New Testament. The first one is Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. A similar thought is echoed again later in the New Testament in the book of 1 John. We love because he first loved us. Our why is God started, God ordained. It's God loved us before anything else. He didn't ask us to change. He didn't ask us to become something else. He didn't ask us to clean ourselves up. He didn't say stop doing this or start doing that. He loved us while we were still broken and in need of help. And that's, that's our why. And he, he did it through the ridiculous and unconditional and undeserved love of Jesus Christ. And that's our motivation. That's our why. And because Jesus pursued us, we should do that for other people. We should do the same for others. Jesus lovingly and relentlessly pursued us. If you're sitting in these seats and you call yourself a follower of Christ, Jesus did some amazing things to get through to you, to find you. I know in my life, I was a long way from Jesus when he found me. And he took me and he brought me to him and he did not leave me there. So that's our job as Christ followers. We need to do the same thing for others. And so this brings us to the last two verses in the book of James. James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. And that's what we're going to dive into now. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. So for this morning's purposes, we're going to look at this from the angle of lean in. Right? We've been talking about look up, lean in, reach out. We're going to talk about it from the angle of lean in. This, the, the logic, the imperative the rewards and blessings could all apply to um, the same concept of reaching out to someone who has never known Jesus, who is far from Jesus, and they're getting to know him for the first time. But for the sake of our conversation this morning, 
because of where James directed his thoughts. James is talking to people who already know Jesus and they've kind of wandered off the path. They've gotten lost. They've maybe turned their back a little bit. And he's encouraging us to, encouraging his readers to go, to go after them. My brothers and sisters, this is one of James's kind of favorite, favorite phrases. And this phrase is meant to be like, this is all of us. This is James saying, I'm, I'm preaching to myself as much as I'm preaching to you. This is me saying, I'm preaching to myself as much as I'm preaching to you. We can do this. We're a team. Let's go. Let's get it done. One of James's favorite phrases, my brothers and sisters. From the truth. So as we work through this morning's conversation, it, I'm going to do a little bit of recap of where we've been over the course of the last couple months in James. And earlier, James used the, um, a similar phrase, and I had defined the word of truth uh, as this. It was the Old Testament ethic as taught, exemplified, and expanded by Jesus. Okay, so the Old Testament ethic was 600 plus laws that were designed first and foremost to help us relate to God and then secondarily to help us relate to each other. Love God, love others. Right, that's what those, Jesus boiled those 600 plus down. And then Jesus came on the scene because God's people were just struggling time and time again just to do what he asked them to do. So God sent Jesus to earth in the form of a man, all the frailty of the human condition. And he fulfilled every single one of those laws, every single one of them, perfectly. And then as he taught and as he invited people to watch him live this life, his life with God the Father, he expanded it and made it more than just the external um, checking things off a box. He made it about the internal, our internal motivations. He expanded this idea of don't just, you know, if you're just checking off a box, if you're just doing these things to say that I did them, you're missing the point. God wants your heart. He wants your heart. He wants, um, you know, Jesus did it in terms of specifics. He said, you know, love, love your enemies. He said, don't, um, don't look at a woman lustfully. That's the same thing as committing adultery. He, he changed the game and he, he expanded what that Old Testament ethic was and he still, still lived, it, lived it perfectly. And then in us, his encouragement was, so those things, when he gives us that new heart, those things should flow from the inside out. And James really hammers home on this point. So the, the book of James, there are more directives, like do this, don't do that, per word than any other book in the New Testament. And it's not even close to the longest book in the New Testament. James is all about that chapter 2 um, that John taught us on. Faith without works is dead. Right? It has to flow from the inside out. That's the truth, as, as, defined, as defined by James. Old Testament ethic, exemplified, taught, lived out, expanded by Jesus, that flows from the inside out. One of you should wander. So I, people, uh, people are walking with Jesus and life happens. It could be any variety of things that cause, that cause people to wander. And so I, I couldn't even begin to speculate at how long, how long a list that is. So what I thought would be a better, better use of our time would be to talk about two things that I think that we as the church family do that cause people to wander. And the, the first one is just relational conflict. 
right? We have, we, we get in a, a beef with somebody about something, who knows what, and it, either it's not handled well or it's not handled at all, and that could cause us to drift. I don't have to tell you guys that relationships are messy. That we all live with the effects of sin in, in our lives, and it leads to, to broken relationships. As hard as we try, as much as we pray, we're still, we're still going to hurt each other. Hopefully not intentionally, right? But, but it happens. And I'm really thankful that the, the Bible does not look at our relationships through, through rose-colored glasses. Rather, it looks at relationships through the clarifying lens of grace. And it just reminds us that we need more grace. We need grace for each other, right? The word grace actually means gift. We need grace for each other when somebody hurts us. We need to be gracious when it's the other way around. Those relationships are, are key to what Jesus wants to do in and through us. Christianity is not meant to be like a, a, a lone ranger thing. Over and over we're reminded in the pages of scripture that relationships are important and God wants us to be in relationship with him and with each other so that we might be able to glorify him as best we possibly can and to, to grow his kingdom. So relationships, right? And connected to relationships is this idea of, of judgment. At the beginning of James, I used the phrase don't be a judgy jerk. I used it a lot, right? That's my encouragement to us still. Don't be a judgy jerk, and here's why. 74%-ish of people who walk away from church, walk away from faith, say it's because the church is too judgmental. 74%, that's the number one reason that people walk away from the things of faith and, and church specifically. We need to not do this. We need to not be judgy jerks, friends. This is, if this is the biggest reason why people are turning from their faith, we need to do everything we can to, to fight this. Let's look at a piece of scripture in Romans. You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you are a mere human being, pass judgment on them, and yet do the same things, don't you think you will escape God's judgment? So there's motivation number one for us to try to curtail this idea of judging other people, right? It's, God's going to use the same measure when he looks at us that we're using at other people. We can't, we can't hold people to a different standard than we hold ourselves. If we expect grace from somebody else, we have to be conduits of that grace. Absolutely, absolutely. And so I said it's tied, this idea of judgment and not being a judgy jerk is tied to relationships. And I honestly believe that um, relationships are the antidote to judgment, right? Judgment does not bring people back. If somebody is wandering and you're like shaking a finger at them and slapping them on the head with a Bible, that's not gonna bring them back. If you're in relationship with them, you're going to know more about them. You're going to know more of the backstory. You're going to have more details. You're going to be able to speak more carefully. You're going to be able to speak more clearly. You're going to be able to speak more truthfully into that situation. You're in a relationship with that person. You know what they respond to. Right? Maybe they're the kind of person that needs like an arm around a shoulder and, and an encouragement. Hey, come on, we can do this. Or maybe they're like, 
you're a knucklehead, stop doing what you're doing and fix it, right? Maybe they need, need a little bit more of the direct conversation. When you're in a relationship, you know that. And when you're in a relationship with someone, rather than being judgy and throwing a truth bomb over the fence and running away, in a relationship, you help somebody, you identify, look, man, you're wandering. You're going the wrong way. And I'm going to walk with you until you find your way back in a path. Relationships are the antidote to judgment. And it will help restore that person that's, that's wandering. Scripture from the book of Ecclesiastes. It's uh, inscribed on the inside of my, my wedding band. And this is when we usually hear these verses. However, that's not the context they were written for. They were written for relationships, for friendships. Um, let me read them for you. It says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either one of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. In these verses in Ecclesiastes, we see an encouragement towards relationship. We see the, the positive aspects of, um, of protection and encouragement and perseverance that come from being in a relationship with somebody else. Especially, that last verse, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Me, you, and Jesus. Right? When we're walking together with our brothers and sisters in Christ, we are capable of doing way more than we are on our own. Especially when it comes to people if we go the wrong way. So the flip side of this is that it should serve as, as a warning. If you're sitting here this morning and stuff in life is, is like, it's not making sense right now and you're not tracking and you're thinking like, you know what, I just need a break from church. I just need a break from these people. Um, please heed the warning of these verses, right? If you go off on your own while you're struggling, you don't have that encouragement. You don't have that protection. You don't have that added support. And please, I speak from experience when I tell you, wandering while you're struggling is not going to fix the problem. When I wandered, I went down a really dark road. And I did things that I'm not proud of. And I did things that I had put behind me that I thought were behind me. And I gave, I gave in to lots of things. And fortunately... Somebody tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, why don't we go do this service thing together for Jesus? It was a Jesus thing, and it was serving the poorest of the poor, and it was in that moment, in those two weeks, that I got back on the track, that I started walking with Jesus again. And it was because I was wandering and somebody was willing to step into that and speak into that and invite me into an alternative. Right? Relationships are, are the antidote to judgment. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, someone should bring that person back. Think me. When you see someone, think not me, you, right? Not a professional Christian, not a pastor, you. This is, this is addressed at everybody. So let's think about this. First, just like anecdotally, right? If, 
somebody, you know, hey, I haven't seen Susie around in a while. And I'm in a conversation with Susie. I'm like, hey, people are asking for you. That's great. That makes that person feel really good. But if person A actually goes after Susie and says, hey, I haven't seen you in a while. How are you doing? That is qualitatively just a much more direct, that Susie's going to feel way better about that than just hearing from me, oh, yeah, some random people are asking about me. Think about the math, right? I'm, as a pastor, as a lead team, how, whatever professional Christian you want to designate, we're limited in number. As a community, just the odds are much greater that we can reach people who are wandering, right? I, I'm not going to see everybody who's wandering. If all of our eyes are looking out for our brothers and sisters, maybe we haven't seen them in a while. Maybe they haven't been to group in a while. Maybe they haven't been showing up to whatever thing. Call them. Text them. Go knock on their door. Hey, man, we miss you. Where you been? Everything okay? Speaking from someone who's received that phone call, that, like, it's so welcome. Don't, don't be afraid that you're going to offend somebody. Just, just do it. And then from just, there are some of us, some of you guys, who have a gift of mercy, who have just incredible empathy and compassion, Way more than I do. Right? And, and to, for, for people with those gifts to step up and say, I'm going to reach out and I'm going to go after this person that hasn't been around for a while, that I haven't seen for a while, that's struggling. Man, that's, that's you using the gifts that God gave you for his kingdom and for his glory. Someone means you. Bring that person back. All right, so... I reminded us throughout the book of James that James borrowed a lot from his big brother, Jesus' teachings. And this is another example. And he's talking about Jesus, when Jesus shared the parable of the, of the lost sheep. So we're going to dive into that for a little bit. This is Jesus uh, in the book of Matthew. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about the one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. The heart of the Father is for you. Jesus goes to great lengths to rescue us. And he doesn't wait, in, in that little parable, he doesn't wait for the sheep to turn around and to come close. He leaves the other 99 and he goes after the one that's struggling, that's that's lost, that's wandered. The heart of God is, is patient. There's several verses in the New Testament that talks about how God, God waits for us. He, he wants us to come back. He, he's pursuing us and waiting for us and, and reaching out to us. His heart is for us and he wants to reach out to us. So when we come into relationship with Jesus... One of the things we talked about, chapter 1 of James, is that one of the greatest gifts that we receive is this new heart. A new heart that puts God first and then others, and we get bumped down the list, no longer as self-serving as we once were. We have the Father's heart in us, and it pours out, and it, it compels us to go after those who are wandering. And then Jesus goes on to explain those are the verses that I was talking about that echo, um, sorry, my slides are all screwed up. 
give me one second. Okay, so that top part is another verse in the New Testament that talks about the heart of God and how patient he is. And then we start, we pick up again um, in those verses from, from Matthew. Jesus tells the parable of the lost sheep, and then he goes right in to kind of some practical stuff about how we go about restoring that lost sheep. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault, just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. The process is this. If, um, I'm just going to pick on my wife because she's sitting right here in front of me. If we have, and just pretend she's not my wife for the sake of this. If we have an issue, right? If I do something that upsets her, offends her, she's supposed to come to me directly and say, you know what? When you did X, it really stunk. It hurt. I would really appreciate it if you wouldn't do it again. Hopefully, I will say, oh, man, I'm really sorry. I'll work on that and do the best I can and not do it again. However, I can be a little slow on the uptake, so maybe I don't get it. And I turn around, and two days later, I do the exact same thing. Not that that's ever happened. <laughs> um, so what, what Jesus suggests happened then is you get two or three people. It's the Old Testament law of, like, when there's kind of something going on, you need some witnesses to, to verify what's, what's going on. And in terms of, like, relational work, I would recommend this. So if Gail needs to come back to me and have a second conversation, I would say she would go about doing it in something like this. Um, you know what? I think we need to talk about that thing again. How about you, um, you grab Joe and I'll grab Janie and we'll, the four of us will get together and, and we, can, we can talk it through. So there's some objectivity there by having kind of somebody from each side, I guess for lack of a better term. And then there are witnesses there as well to help validate what people, because sometimes that stuff can be heated and you're going and like you say something like, no, 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 you're, that is not at all what Gail is saying to you. Stop and listen for a second, right? That, that objective perspective can lend some, some help to that. If me being thick as I am, still after more people are brought in, I'm still not picking up on what, what is doing, it says go to the church, right? Grab me as a pastor, grab the elders, grab a ministry leader, and, and pull them into the conversation. And then, so this does not happen very often, and what it talks about at the, the very end, if they refuse to listen to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. That doesn't mean not allow them to attend church, right? It means if they're in leadership, maybe there's some conversations about, hey, it's probably not a great time for you to be in leadership because you're walking in this stuff that you shouldn't be. Um, but what I don't want us to miss, right, is the, how you, you would treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. How did Jesus treat pagans and tax collectors? He pursued them with compassion and he pursued them with urgency, right? So the mindset just, the mindset just needs to shift a little bit, but we still need to be pursuing those people. Jesus' heart for them does not change just because they won't listen. Does that make sense? And folks, this relational stuff is hard, man. It's hard work. It's hard work. But one of my hopes and prayers for Crossroads is that we would be a place that would be willing to do that hard work. And some of that is internal. 
we need to deal with our own junk, whether it's family of origin, whether it's whatever issues we might have on our own. And if maybe that's seeing a counselor, maybe that's talking to a close friend or a spiritual mentor, we need to be willing to do that work. I want to be the kind of place where that can happen, where it's safe for that to happen, where you can come to me and say, hey, I got some stuff I need, I need to talk to somebody about. Right? And then there's the external part of it, where we need even more grace, where we need that strength to have those difficult conversations, when we need strength to go to a church leader and ask for help if need be. We need that more grace. Last part. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. This is, this is kind of a twofold. James wrote this in kind of a tricky way. And there, there's blessings for both people, right? The person who has wandered, this, uh, the commentators and scholars tell us that this phrase, they think, kind of became a proverb for uh, uh, divine forgiveness, right? So the person who strayed is going to be forgiven for what caused them to stray. The other side of that is the one who does the restoring, the one who is pursuing the wanderer, is going to be blessed and, and rewarded. Right? God does not want us to write off our brothers and sisters if they're being knuckleheads, they're doing silly things, and they're making bad decisions. He wants us to pursue them with compassion, with a sense of urgency, and with love. So I want to wrap up our time this morning. I want to wrap up this whole study of the book of James with, and when I, we taught through this part, I said I think this is maybe the most important verse in the book of James, maybe the most important book of the Bible. But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Ask the band to start working their way back up here. Um, this idea of more grace, right? So point in time when we come to that place where we say, Jesus, I need you. I can't do this on my own. I can't bridge the gap between me and God. It's too far. There's, there's just too much sin in me and around me. I need, I need you. Right? Point in time, grace. But as we step into that and we move forward, we continue to need more grace. Everything that we do as followers of Christ is powered by grace, especially when it comes to this idea of restoring, of bringing back, of pursuing our wandering brothers and sisters. Jesus in us is a gift. It's a gift that should fill us up to overflowing and spill out onto the people around us. And when it spills out onto the people around us, then that's when things like reconciliation happens, right? That's when we can have those hard conversations because the grace of Jesus in us is being extended to the people around us. And maybe it's for, for us, um, if we've screwed up, knowing that there's more grace, we can have the humility to go to the person that we've offended or wronged or hurt and say, I'm so sorry. I had no idea or I screwed up. Please, please forgive me. Grace enables us to do that. And then God lifts us up as individuals, as a community, right? We want to be a place that is about, people are going to wander. It's going to happen, right? We're not going to pretend like it's not going to happen. But we want to be a kind of place that doesn't let anybody go far for long. 
when we see them wandering, we go after them. We pursue them with compassion and urgency, just like Jesus pursued us. That's what Jesus did for us. Jesus lovingly and relentlessly pursues us, and we should do the same thing for others. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you that you have a limitless supply of grace. Thank you that you don't um, require anything of us before you give us that grace, just that we would say we need you. We need that grace. So, Lord, we're here, and that's what we're saying. Fill us with your grace, God. Father, we pray right now for anybody who might be struggling, God, in the middle of just a hard, a hard time or a difficult issue or a relationship. Lord, please move in their heart and their mind right now that wandering is not going to solve their problem. You're the answer to their problem, and you often work through your people. Father, give us your heart for the wanderer. Give us your heart for those people who are lost and struggling, that we might pursue them the way you pursued us. Amen.